following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. My wife got it in Atlanta and brought it home, and I got it. Mmm, sounds like tons of fun, but hey, sharing is caring, you know? Yeah, that's not what I was thinking. That wasn't my sentiment. All right, welcome back into the South End Zone. I'm your host, Jason Bailey. I am with Eric Molehair, as always. Eric, what's happening, man? You you back off the Rona snide? You feeling better, man? I am feeling better. I, I probably don't sound great, but oh, there's I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who are like, well, I don't like the sound of this dude's voice already anyways, so no big, no big difference. But uh, yeah, just getting over a little lingering cough. Other than that, I'm good. Hey, man. Well, you know, they can join me in that quest of we don't like Eric's voice. But mm-hmm. here we are. We'll just deal with it together, listeners. The, the club grows every week. <laughs> it does. It does. Of course, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people. That whole lot probably feels like ah, this dumb redneck host. I don't like it when he hosts. Let's get Eric back on there so he can lull me to sleep. But Let's not do that. Yeah. Speaking of uh, lulling people to sleep, uh, Michigan fans, this one's for you. We're going to talk about Ohio State football this week. Another week talking about a various team, Ohio State football, man. I've got some serious thoughts about Ohio State. But once again, we're going to bring in an expert and somebody who actually gets paid to you know, talk about and write uh, and cover Ohio State football. And that person is Joey Kaufman from the Columbus Dispatch. Joey, thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, how to start this show, I went back and forth and just sort of – couldn't really come up with anything spectacular other than to a sort of a quick recap of 2022. And this will lead into our discussion later on uh, after we talk about the spring a little bit. It, it's, it's strange, but Ohio state has certainly reached the point where not making the national championship game is viewed as a disappointment uh, by the fan base, at least, you know, some of the old guard as we've talked about Eric, but you know, when you go, 11 and two on the year and are a field goal away from being in the national title game. And effectively, you know, there's a lot of yeah. things that w- happen that probably are, winning it uh, probably. And, you know, you lose your best offensive skill player in the, in the game. So there's a lot that could have gone different in 2022 for Ohio state, but ultimately they came up a little short and man, they are to put it lightly uh, experiencing quite a bit of turnover this uh, upcoming season. So what we're going to do, Joey, we're going to jump right in and talk about the spring and sort of uh, review what happened there. And, you know, as per the usual, I'm not going to really get into recruiting here because Ohio state, they always recruit. Well, they're always in the top 10. Yeah. There's, there's nothing really to, to mention of any consequence there. They have five stars everywhere and you can continue that uh, expect that to continue, but let's talk about some position battles and uh, I'm going to let Eric uh, deal with the, the defense this time we're going to switch it up a little bit but i want to go right for the throat and talk about the thing that everybody wants to talk about which is replacing cj stroud and i'll be honest i I don't really know much about kyle mccord other than the fact that he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school in 2021 and he started one game for an injured stroud and so how do you replace cj stroud i mean the dude like set records just in a long line of freak shows that Ohio State has had at quarterback, you know, with Justin Fields and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So 
what are the prospects for Kyle McCord? I mean, he's certainly not hurting for receivers. What uh, what's the sentiment in uh, in Ohio State's camp there on the quarterback situation? Well, Jason, I don't think you're alone in the fact that Kyle McCord is a mystery to a lot of people. I mean, you know his recruiting pedigree. He was a five star. And I think to get a sense of how long he has been a part of Ohio State's plans at quarterback. He was offered a scholarship really early on in his high school career, and he committed to Ohio State in April of 2019. So before J.J. McCarthy uh, was ever committed to the Michigan, same recruiting class, and J.J. McCarthy's twice played against Ohio State in the game and won that rivalry. So that's how long Kyle McCord has sort of been waiting in the wings and hanging around and, and, and maybe being the next guy at quarterback. And he actually did compete with C.J. Stroud for the starting job in 2021 ultimately didn't win it he was in that competition with jack miller who was in the same recruiting class as stroud jack miller ended up going to to florida so he's been here for a while but hasn't really played a ton other than that start against akron i think the 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 reputation of mccord is he's more of your your traditional pocket passer and and he was in a competition in spring with devin brown who's was a freshman last year redshirted another top 50 quarterback and known maybe for being a little more mobile, maybe a quarterback who's able to make plays outside of structure. And I think that's going to continue in the, in the, in the fall camp. Cause that was, that was a competition Ohio state maybe hoped to have settled in spring ball. Maybe you could pick your starting quarterback and ultimately it's a, it's a battle. that's going to go into fall, which is in line with past quarterback competitions at Ohio state, Justin Fields, wait until August to win that job. Same with C.J. Stroud. So that's been the way things have, have gone with Ryan Day, but it's a little bit of a an unknown quantity, whoever you're going to get at quarterback. But the track record is such at Ohio State with their development that you think whoever it is, Devin Brown or Kyle McCord, that it's going to ultimately pan out just because the same question was asked two years ago, who's going to replace Justin Fields? And then the year before that, who's going to replace Dwayne Haskins? That's fair. It is fair. And like you said, like I kind of touched on, we're not going to really touch on wide receivers uh, because if you're a listener who doesn't really follow Ohio State football, uh, let me just really quickly inform you that they have the best wide receiver core in the nation. It's not close, and they probably will for the next three seasons. Yeah, I think any list of the top five college wide receivers this year is going to include at least two Buckeyes. Yes, that's that's most likely correct. So, uh, um, really, I'm Sorry to yeah, interrupt. Real go ahead. Quick. No, go ahead. Eric. I, quick question, Joey, about the quarterbacks. Which one uh, you talked about, McCord and Devin Miller? Remind me which one played in high school with Marvin Harrison Jr. That's Kyle McCord, St. Joe's. McCord did okay in, in Philly. I remembered one of them did. I just couldn't remember which. All right, so it does help McCord's case a little bit that he does have two really good running backs, kind of take the pressure off of him early. But it, it's it's a really interesting thing to me to see if they just cut McCord loose and let him sling it, or if they do try to lean on that run game with Travion Henderson and, you know, just the freak show backs that they have behind him to take the pressure off of McCord. But the problem with that is that they're replacing both of their offensive tackles and their starting center. And it's, man, you, you replace a guy like Paris Johnson. I mean, I know they've got the Fryer kid, that is uh, either going to start at left or right. And I did that get settled in the spring? Is Fryer going to start at the left tackle, at the right tackle? What is the, what's the offensive line position battles looking like? Because we are of the belief on this podcast that uh, if your offensive line sucks, nothing else matters. 
it looks like Fryer is going to start on the left side. They didn't they didn't name him the quote unquote starter at the end of spring ball, but that's the way things were trending. He took all the first team reps there. The competition at right is uh, between Tegra Shabola, who was a guard last year, and he's a converted uh, tackle, and Zen Mihalski, uh, who is was the backup left tackle last year. So they do not have anybody at tackle who was like Paris Johnson, where they were waiting in the wings, where it's it's some four or some five star guy who looks like he's going to be an obvious candidate to just slide in there and, and be a great tackle. I mean, Fryer was a three star. And he's developed over a lot of years. He, he filled in a right tackle last year for Dewan Jones for a start against Indiana. So he has a little bit of experience. But, I mean, they're they're really inexperienced. I think if there's a, a, a spot on the roster which could cause Ohio State probably the the, the most problems, it, it would look to be on the offensive line and specifically those tackle spots. Because you look at everywhere else on offense, I mean, you have dynamic playmakers at wide receiver. You have two returning 1,000-yard pass catchers, and you have – a lot of running backs who have shown at least the capability of, of being big time guys. Trayvon Harrison rushed for a thousand yards as a freshman, but tackle to me, I think is the spot where you have the biggest concern, especially in, in pass protection, because that was at, I mean, there were several points in the spring game where you saw Kyle McCord uh, running for his life back there. Uh, media members got to see a few other scrimmages and spring ball and protection was an issue. And, it is a little bit of the cliche that the, the defense is always ahead of an offense uh, at some point in the offseason, especially in the trenches. But that's the, the concerning factor, I think, to watch. Maybe those guys get better in August, September, October, and that's a, a story of the season about how Ohio State's offensive tackles developed and, and Justin Fry, the offensive line coach, did a great job at that spot. Or you could look at on the other side of the coin is they didn't have the, the talent needed to, to really shore up those departures of Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. And that was also a recruiting failure by Greg Stradrawa, who was the former offensive line coach before Justin Fry came last year. So that's that Ohio state is, is trying to manage right now. Hmm. Well, and the other, you I mean, kind of, we touched on it briefly, but you know, you center, we kind of look at that like the signal caller and they're replacing that as well as the ULM kid, uh, Cutler, the transfer from ULM. Is he in the mix, or is Carson Hinsman just going to be the dude you would think um, under uh, you know calling the offensive line calls and snapping the ball to McCord? That seemed like it was going to be a really open competition in in spring, and it still is a competition. But I was surprised at the number of first team reps that that Carson Hinsman got over Vic Cutler, and that could change by the fall. Sometimes you see that with transfers; they come in, they uh, they don't get a lot of first team reps. It happened in the secondary too. They they brought in Davis and Igbenosin from Mississippi, who was a freshman All-American last year, and I expect he's certainly going to be part of that cornerback rotation and maybe even start. So this could be a case like that where or maybe they're they're allowing the returning player to get uh, sort of the first crack at the spot. But uh, they mentioned a few times that, that Vic Cutler was somebody who was still acclimating to practicing at a, at a Power 5 conference level. That was something Ryan Day brought up a few times. So this will be an interesting off-season summer conditioning program for him. And then when he go into fall camp, see if he can steal more first team reps. But certainly, coming out of spring practice, Carson Hinsman was the the leader in the clubhouse there to to win that job. And it's I think for him especially, if he does start, it would be a, certainly a story um, of a fast adjustment to Ohio State because he was somebody who didn't enroll on campus as a freshman until June of last year. So if he starts game one at Indiana Labor Day weekend. He's somebody who's been on campus for, for only 14 months. So that would be a, a quick rise into the starting lineup. 
Well, then, so shifting to the defense, because really, like, the only question mark offensively is that offensive line. Um, so they're bringing back good, experienced players kind of at all levels defensively, but they are replacing some guys. So year one in the Jim Knowles uh, defensive era, right, They when they hired him because they got run all over in those games in 2021 by Oregon and Michigan. And there was, there was some improvement defensively. Um, I remember talking about the Notre Dame game, right, where they were kind of even Steven – a lot of the way through and then middle of the third quarter, just kind of out physical the rest of the way and, and pulled that one out. And we talked about how, well, it was a big step for them because they won that game by not being soft. And that was the knock on them in 21 was they lost a couple of those games. They just weren't a tough enough team. So, but I kind of feel like they defensively maybe little left a little meat on the bone and, and have some room to improve, even though they are replacing guys. So who are going to be the guys filling those fill, needing to step up and fill those spots? particularly the front seven. As personnel-wise, you look at the defense compared to the offense, I think they have actually fewer questions on defense because you lose Zach Harrison. I think that's a, that's a loss to his ability to use his length to, to bat balls at the line of scrimmage and be disruptive. But you have your starting two linebackers returning and Tommy Eichenberg is still Chambers. I think people expect JT Tuimola to continue his ascendance. And then you have a lot of pieces in the secondary. You do lose one of your starting safeties, and Ronnie Hickman, uh, who played free safety last year, and Tanner McAllister, who was in the slot. But there isn't really any sort of loss on defense where you it creates the hole like C.J. Stroud or, or Paris Johnson does on the offense. So personnel-wise, they're good on defense. And I think overall last year, people were encouraged by some of the steps that, that Jim Knowles' defense showed in games 1 through 11. The, the issue became in games 12 and 13 because they looked great the first uh, 11 weeks of the season. Then the two biggest games they played, Michigan and Georgia, they, they, the the explosive plays they gave up were just crippling to them. And I think it's a little bit of a situation where you have to shore those up. And as good as 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 well as they played early on in the season, it doesn't mean all that much if you can't get those big stops and you can't protect a double digit lead in the college football playoff semifinal. Yeah, and those. I mean, I know going back to the Michigan game, it it almost felt like at the time, and I don't know if you feel differently, but I almost kind of came away from that thinking like they focused too much on stopping the run against those guys this year. And then that's when they gave up those blown coverages and the long pass plays. Yeah. I think that was a part of it. Cause you, you look at the first or the first uh, big play they gave up or, or one of the cornerbacks, Cam Brown missed the tackle mm-hmm. that to a big play. They, they, Jim Knowles dialed up an all out blitz and a few of those games too, especially Michigan, it felt like maybe there was an over aggressiveness to, to dial up pressure to, to have the game flip. And in general, I think Ohio State, I mean, you look at some of the calls that, that Jim Knowles had in that game where the aggressiveness, trying to make a play, I think there was a lot of pressure for this team, which was unaccustomed to losing to Michigan, to make sure they didn't lose two games in a row. It hadn't happened since 99, 2000, the end of the John Cooper era. Jim Trestle never lost twice in a row to Michigan. Urban Meyer never lost to Michigan at all. So, so the fact that they were coming off a loss, I think there was a lot of, desperation to to get back on the winning side which is odd considering just how good Ohio State's generally been the last few years but they are so unaccustomed in this era of college football of losing to their arch rival that there was so much pressure and I think that maybe led to some of the defensive breakdowns against Michigan but but Georgia also pointed that it was maybe a little more than just third of your mental makeup in that game too because the the, the, the explosive plays the, the broken coverages certainly uh, reared its head in that game as well hmm. So 
as we talk about replacing the, the defensive pieces and breaking in the new quarterback and the new offensive lineman, schedule-wise, looking ahead now towards the fall, it kind of sets up where they are able to ease into it a little bit. I mean, you go to Indiana, that shouldn't be much of a challenge. They get Youngstown State at home and then Western Kentucky. So you have to feel like before they they take that road trip to South Bend, like they can kind of get their feet under them a little bit, figure out what's working, what's not, and address any changes. You know, schedule-wise, it looks kind of like a regular Ohio State schedule where you look and you think, okay, they'll be favored in 11 games, and then the one that matters is the one at the end because everything is going to kind of hinge on that. But uh, where where do you see, like, that Maryland game coming off the bye can maybe feel like a, a track trap game depending on how the, the Notre Dame game goes? I think they're fortunate the Notre Dame game happens in week four rather than week one last year because that was their opener last year. Week one out of the gate, you're facing Notre Dame. I remember talking to, to Gene Smith about how that game was scheduled, and he had some apprehension about having a, a non-conference team of that magnitude right out of the gate. And they ultimately went with it because it's it was hard for them to schedule Notre Dame, and it was rare for them to get a home-and-home. Home. It hadn't happened since the mid-'90s. It was only the third time in the school's history they ever got a home-and-home, and, home, and they were willing to, to do it. And they were fortunate last year was the one that ended up being the season opener because you had a returning quarterback in C.J. Stroud. It was the game at home. If there were situations reversed, that would be a, a rude awakening for a, start, for a freshman or inexperienced starting quarterback to go at South Bend. I think Penn State's also going to be interesting as well this year, though. You just taking kind of a broader look at the schedule, though, is you do get a runway into the season. You do play at Notre Dame. Penn State's going to be interesting as well to me because you have Drew Aller as a quarterback, and Penn State has always given Ohio State some fits, uh, but they've never really had maybe the quarterback to go toe-to-toe, especially with Sean Clifford and and Drew Aller being in Ohio State's backyard, uh, who, who Ohio State tried to flip and, and didn't work out. He went to Penn State. That's certainly going to be an interesting matchup if Penn State is maybe as good as, as people think they could be because there's – there's been more talk this year about the Big Ten East being a little more wide open. I think it's typically been huge as Ohio State's Michigan's league, but maybe the way Penn State played to close the season in the Rose Bowl could make that game a little more interesting, although it is in Columbus. Um, and obviously it's a, Penn State's a much different team when they play uh, in Happy Valley. Yeah. How are the Ohio State faithful feeling about that game at Wisconsin? Is there some trepidation like, hey, Luke Fickle might be able to get things rolling like right out the gate or – with an air raid, <laughs> yeah, that'll be a liquored up crowd because that is uh, a Halloween well, it's weekend. Wisconsin, yeah, yeah, but especially yeah. the Halloween weekend, I think that'll be interesting. The atmosphere, the question is, I don't know how good Wisconsin will be in week one because Luke Fickle at Cincinnati had sort of a slower rebuild, it wasn't immediately a year one. We're going to bring in 40 guys in the transfer portal, so I don't know if it's going to be quite the, the turnaround that you saw happen at USC last year with Lincoln Riley. It feels maybe a slower build. For them, and that could make maybe Wisconsin a little more favorable to Ohio State this year, but certainly going to be a difficult atmosphere. And you know, Luke Fickle would love to to get another crack at Ohio State. I mean, it's interesting because when he coached Cincinnati in, in 2019, they came to the Horseshoe. It was a big reunion game for him, uh, coaching against his alma mater, where he'd been the interim coach in 2011. But that was a non-competitive game, and it was 42 nothing. It just didn't look like. Uh, Cincinnati belonged in the same field with Ohio State and it kind of came out before the game that Urban Meyer and Luke Fickle actually tried to, to to get that game off the schedule and it didn't happen so Luke's in general seemed almost uncomfortable playing Ohio State so I think that feels like a total x factor 
for the Wisconsin game this year, and I'll be curious how, how that dynamic sorts itself out. And that, yeah, that, some, something that I wanted to touch on here with this schedule, and Eric, I'll let you close this out, but I, I look at the schedule, and Eric sort of said it looks like an average Ohio State schedule, but I think it's more than that. Like This schedule, they'll be double-digit favorites in all but three games. Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan. They'll be double-digit favorites over every other team they play. And frankly, they should be because it's a bunch of trash. You can say what you want to about Maryland or Purdue and Purdue, the fact that they made they won nine games last year, whatever. New coach. <laughs> it's the, three, the, the big three and everybody else in the Big Ten uh, from this point moving forward, in my opinion. So that leading into this Ryan Day discussion that we wanted to touch on here, we brought this up to Barrett Salee a week ago, and he had a unique opinion talking about Ryan Day, saying that basically he's under a unique form of pressure in that some of the new younger fan base is okay with losing to Michigan as long as they make the playoff and do well. But I, I'll be honest, I kind of don't buy that. I think everybody is going to be pissed off if they don't beat Michigan again for the third year in a row. So that sort of led us to this question of could a guy – who literally has won 90% of his games. He's what, Eric? 45 and... I don't remember if it's 46 and 5 or 45 and 6. Uh, yeah, it's see. a stupid winning percentage is I mean, what it you, is. It's, yeah, it's 45 and 6. Yeah, I can't quite go. count the losses on one hand. Right. So it's, it's just, could a guy that has a winning percentage mm-hmm. like this, if he goes out again and gets let's be frank, physically dominated by Michigan again. I mean, is this a dude who's like going to be coaching for his job in 2024? Because we came to the conclusion that the answer should be hell no. You know, the guy, I don't care, especially with the 12-team playoff coming because they're going to make the playoffs every year. But how many losses to Michigan can be tolerated until, uh, up to the point where it's yeah, like before the nothing Rick, else matters? Right, before it's the Mark Rick situation where you know he wins 10 games a year but loses in the SEC title game or whatever it may be, and they're just like, 10 games isn't enough. Sorry, see you later, Mark. Could it be the same thing with Ryan Day where it's like, hey, man, we appreciate the 10 or 11 wins every year, but you got to beat Michigan. Yeah, the Michigan factor colors everything because, as you said, his, his, his record is 45-6, and six, which is a great record. And But the problem is two of those losses have been Michigan, and you mentioned the – sort of the generational divide among fans. I think everybody has such a distaste losing to Michigan because you have the older fans who grew up in the Woody era, Woody Hayes era, and and beating Michigan is a life or death thing. I mean, that's, that's where the season rides upon. But you also have younger fans who have come up in the Trestle era and the Urban Meyer era where beating Michigan has become almost a birthright. I mean, <laughs> lost twice in a span of, of – Two decades uh, from 2001 to, uh, to the end of the, the 2010s. They, uh, you had the one loss that Trestle had in 03, and you had the Luke Fickle loss in, in 11. And, and a lot of Ohio State fans barely count that because that was sort of a, a lost season. So the expectation was tough. You never lose to Michigan. And I think that that really, I think, has fed into a lot of the noise around Ryan Day and his job performance at Ohio State. But I don't see him coaching for his job in 24. They gave him an extension last year. To 2028, I think Gene Smith wants Ryan Day to to work out. He was the one who, who promoted him. They've committed tens of millions of dollars to him. It would be very costly to buy him out uh, if it ever came to that. And I just I think with this expanded playoff era, it's going to ultimately devalue things like losing to Michigan from the, from the perspective of administrators because you're going to get another bite of the apple in the playoff situation that almost happened last year 
for them where they were, you were able to lose to Michigan and win a national championship. So I think in a playoff era, and especially an expanded playoff era, I just don't know if losing Michigan is going to cost somebody their job from from the perspective of an administrator. It might lead to a very noisy scene in Columbus for Ryan Day, and, and that certainly I think could kind of create a situation which isn't very fun for for uh, the head coach. But that's sort of the it's sort of the situation as I see it. I think they're going to win too many games ultimately for Ryan Day to do much, even if if you even if you do lose to Michigan. Yeah, we wanted to dig into that a little bit because when I when I talked to to Barrett about it, it was in the midst of a bunch of different kind of rapid fire changing topics, and we didn't spend more than three or four minutes on any one. And I just I found his answer interesting because the perception nationally is that he is under some pressure locally to beat Michigan, and nothing else matters as much. And we so we kind of wanted to get the local perspective on how people actually view that situation there, and and. Um, and that was kind of the the takeaway from talking to Barrett about it was, you, you know, you do have that old guard who don't care if you go to the playoff or the college football playoff f- championship game if you lose to Michigan. It's just not okay. And it just seemed so bizarre to us that a guy with his track record, you know, and you look at the losses too, it, you know, the Clemson game that they got hosed on a couple of calls probably should have won in 2019. They lost to 2020 Bama, which was loaded with first rounders and rolled everybody uh, twice to Michigan, lost to Oregon, lost to Georgia, who won the national championship game the next week by 58 points. So it's not like that they're out here, you know, dropping games to Northwestern and Purdue. Like he's, he's getting beat by the absolute best of the best. So it's really, it was absurd to us, but it will be interesting to watch moving forward because rule one of firing a coach is you damn well better have someone better waiting. And I don't know who that person is in this case. Yeah. I think the, the perspective of, of Gene Smith and, and Ohio state people and, and the people who ultimately are going to call the shots is that this is a coach who's had Ohio state in the 95th, the 96th, 97th percentile. And then you need to move up to the 98th, 99th percentile, and then you're good. And, and maybe it'll be different if they feel like things are sliding and they're no longer in that 90-something percentile. But but right now, the way they've looked at it is is trying to make fix, fixes, tinker with the staff, uh, try to be more aggressive in the portal. They've added more guys at the portal this year than they have been before to try to patch some holes on the roster. So I think they largely do view themselves as being really close to a winning national championship. They've had a lot of what have could have should have moments uh, the last four years. You mentioned that Clemson loss in, in 2019 and, and last year they're within a whisper of, of beating Georgia. So they, as noisy as things can be in Columbus because you have people who can't remember what it's like to lose to Michigan. I think the, the broader perspective is this is a program that is still within striking distance of a, of a national championship. And I think that that's it's sort of status quo and, and until that changes. And the other thing that I think that matters a lot is, is the way Ryan Day has coached the quarterback position. If you have a, a coach who's recruiting high-level quarterbacks, developing high-level quarterbacks, having first-round quarterbacks, uh, not being in, in sort of a quarterback purgatory or having your, your quarterback situation a mess every year, I mean, that, that starts you with a – raises your floor to a significant level. So if you have a, a head coach – where that is his background, and you can have a top shelf quarterback every year. Feels like your 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 floor is nine and three, and then it's about what you do on the other parts of the roster. But I think that's why people are overall comfortable with Ryan Day. But I mean, it's certainly a conversation and a topic that people here are talking about. It certainly, I think, is a conversation that's not going to go away because that Michigan game matters a lot to a whole lot of people in town. Hmm. 
All right. So last question for you. And we're asking all of our, uh, our writers that come on this, yes. this same question. <laughs> and, and I'm going to stipulate like going in, I think this is going to be more difficult for you than anyone else because roster wise, I think Ohio state has so few question marks and I don't think anyone's going to really sneak up on people. But uh, when we do our postseason award show every year, we have uh, the Conor McGregor, who the fuck is that guy award, <laughs> which uh, goes to our player who comes out of nowhere to have a huge season. Our, our breakout star uh, like Jalen Hyatt at Tennessee this past season was our winner. So if I were to ask you which 2023 Ohio State Buckeyes player would be your most likely pick to uh, to be the Conor McGregor Award, at least a nominee, be someone in the discussion where maybe hardcore Ohio State fans know who he is and, and have some expectations, but maybe people who don't follow the program closely might turn on a game, right, when they're playing Penn State or Notre Dame or whoever, it'd be like, wow, who is this dude? Who the fuck is that guy? This is a good question. It is a hard one for me because I'm trying to think of guys. I don't want to say, oh, this is tough. Uh, and bonus bonus points if you name like a big, huge, fat, nasty offensive lineman. <laughs> I mean, like yeah, I could name an offensive lineman, but there's nobody on the offensive line that I have a ton of utmost uh, confidence that they're you're going to slide in and you're going to be a, an un yeah, overnight. Uh, turn all the receivers. I think one guy maybe I'll I'll, p- I'll pick somebody I think who could play a, a big role in some big games. You know, Trevor Henderson. You know, Maya Williams. But the guy who started against Michigan last year was Chip Trainum. Who guys talk about on the team is is being the most athletic guy. He's he came to he's got an interesting career path because he was recruited by Ohio State as a linebacker. Wanted to play running back. He's from Ohio. He grew up in Akron, so he wanted to play running back. Goes to Arizona State for two years. Comes back to Ohio State to try linebacker. Then switches to running back last year. Uh, a bigger two hundred thirty pound plus running back, but a really good athlete. And he's somebody I'd file away, but file away as a guy who could be important to them because they're going to rotate backs. They've always done that. And, and Trayvon Henderson and Maya Williams have been banged up before. So I think he's somebody they like, even if those guys are healthy and he's somebody you could play a big role, even if those guys are not, and, and could, could make plays in a, in a big game. He's a good athlete. I think he's somebody to maybe file away as somebody to keep an eye on. Hmm. I thought you might say Julian Fleming, but um <laughs> I, I, he's such a known quantity to college. Yeah, he kind of is. I mean, yeah, I, I think he's the number one. Guy, man, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I couldn't pick a five star. Like you could pick Jack Sawyer as a breakout candidate, defensive end on the other guy on the on the on the other side of the ball. But <laughs> well, it is a tough it is a tough five thing five. for Ohio State because yeah, their whole is. roster is five stars. So yeah, Jack Sawyer was actually my my impact true freshman two years ago, and he didn't yeah. really make much of an impact, but. He was my uh, my breakout candidate last year because he was playing a hybrid position in Knowles' defense, like a defensive end linebacker mm-hmm. kind of spot where he was going to be Mr. Aggressive, and it seemed like a position where Knowles was just going to have him chase quarterbacks all day. It didn't really lead to a – he had four some, about four and a half sacks, so it didn't really lead to a, a big-time year. Now he's just a full-time defensive end, which I think could allow him to have a big year because the coaches seem to talk about, oh, he's going to have more focus on, on playing his, his natural position rather than trying to – to juggle two roles, but yeah, he's a, he's a five-star. If he has a, a big year, I don't think it's going to shock college football fans across America. Like, wow, the five-star really came on. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We have talked about that actually the last couple of seasons. It's surprising that they, you know, there's no one on the defensive line really 
that terrifies you all, all yeah. the time, right? Like since, a Chase Young or a yeah, Bosa. Since, that's what I was going to say. Since Chase Young left, it's been just kind of yeah. I mean, uh, Tui Amaloa has had some fantastic – I mean, he was a one-man destroyer crew uh, in the Penn State game, but I don't know that he was consistently terrifying all 12 games you know, throughout the year. I think he was more of a uh, flashes at times, but – and he's a different kind of player than Chase Young, Bosa, too, where they, they had him drop in coverage more. I don't want to say he's finesse, but he's, he just has a, a different skill. So he's in a back, bat balls down. I mean, Bosa, the Bosa's and Chase Young, you just line them up on the edge and they just steamrolled people and, and had all these swim yeah. moves. And <laughs> Yeah, th- was, those guys aren't human. So yeah. <laughs> it's a little different. But, uh, well, Joey, man, we appreciate you coming on, talking a little Ohio State football with us. And uh, perhaps maybe they can, uh, you know, squeak out a win over Michigan this year or just destroy them. We're here for it either way. If they destroy them, we'll be sure to get you back on so we can just let you boast and talk about how bad Michigan sucks. And we will be here for that and post it on all of Michigan social media. The rivalry is great because there'll be a meltdown on one side <laughs> or the other and uh, people will be mad with pitchforks and it'll be it'll be a big story either way. Oh, yeah, man. It'll be great. Well, again, we thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Joey. Say you bounced me. What the hell? Mr. Kaufman. Well, initial reactions. Let's do it. What do you got, Eric? Because well, Ohio State is so we've talked about getting someone on to discuss Georgia, and I kind of feel the same way about Ohio State as I have felt about Georgia this whole time we've been talking about it is yeah, we don't obviously want to ignore them because they're one of the premier programs in the nation, but I just I don't what's the right word? They're not right, as well, intriguing. There's not as much intrigue with there as there is with like a Nebraska or an LSU. I, I know see, I, I what would, I'm getting with I Ohio would, State. Do we though? I, I think would respect, so. I would respectfully disagree because we talked about this offline, and I'm going to call you out on it here on the airwaves. You know, you looked at the the schedule and the win total, and we're kind of like, yeah, I'd probably take the under if I was going to look at it. So well, I kind well, of look at this team as a team that. Remind yes, me, it was 10 are, and a half? Uh, yes, 10 and a half, correct. Okay. Uh, so you, <laughs> I know it's early and I know it's crazy. And feel free to come at me, Ohio State fans. Jason Bailey 47 on Twitter, feel free. And, uh, you know, I'll debate it with you all day long, uh, you know, until the until we get to the point in the Twitter comments where the cognitive ability is so low, you're just making grunting sounds at me. But I kind of look at this team like it's trending in the wrong direction, man. Like, um, I know it's. I'm, I know it's I, early, but am I am I crazy? Well, you should know that. I think there's potential for it to trend in the wrong direction based on we don't know what we're going to get from the quarterback. Now, right. I think I think the track record suggests that we can be optimistic. He's not going to be better than CJ Stroud, almost certainly. Right. But yeah. I think he can be good enough to, you know, if you think they're going to go over, you have to look at at Notre Dame, at Michigan, and Penn State at home. Can they win two of those three? I, and it's, I don't. And it's the not Michigan easy, obviously. Game, I mean, I mean, it, those are good Ohio, teams. Yeah, it's Ohio State-Michigan, so <laughs> flip a coin. You know, We mm-hmm. don't know what that team's going to look like at the end of the year. We don't know. But barring injuries or something crazy, like if they played today, I feel like Michigan would dominate them again, at, at least up front physically. 
you know, yeah, probably. Now, now things can happen, turnovers, whatever. Yeah, sure. But just in the trenches right now, and I think that's where, you know, it's kind of like the SEC, the big heavyweight fights in the SEC. Ohio State and Michigan is similar where the only thing that really matters is what happens up front. And I think Michigan has a decided edge up front, at least today. And Penn State, mm, we're both really high on their defense this year. And now they got the quarterback to go with it. The, the the main concern with this team for me, I'll just put it out there, is yes, they're replacing the quarterback, and we both discussed that we don't expect him to be as good as C.J. Stroud because who is, right? The dude just went second overall. He's a freak, whatever. But you, you tack on the new quarterback situation with a new bunch of offensive linemen situation. And to me, that spells trouble. It spells potential trouble. I just like Joey was talking about, you know, if there's a question mark, if there's a a danger zone or a, you know, a trap waiting for these guys, it is on the offensive line. Um, yeah. That's if, if, if they lose games, they shouldn't or, or lose games like a, a Notre Dame or Penn state where you think they have an edge, but they don't end up winning those. It'll probably be because they're not good enough upfront offensively. Yeah, and you know, he mentioned Penn State being likely a little bit better with Drew Aller at quarterback. I think the same applies for Notre Dame with Sam Hartman taking the snap. Oh, 100%. You know, you don't have Drew Pine or Tyler Buckner out there trying to face your defense. And by the way, your defense probably not going to be as good as it was last year. So I don't know, man. I think it's shaky and it's too early for me to just say they're going to win nine games this year, but I don't like what i'm seeing that's all i'm hmm. gonna say yeah i don't know I, I think 10 and a half is a good number because i i, I feel like they're a 10 or 11 win team. i mean i think it's appropriate um i think i would lean under just because i do have questions about the offensive line but i still think mm-hmm. they should win 10 games well they'll certainly be favored in 11 games you can count on that i mean unless notre dame just comes out and is crushing people by 50 points mm-hmm. then ohio state's going to be favored even on the road in week four right or that line looks bad and they struggle where they shouldn't you know against indiana or western <laughs> yeah. kentucky or whoever yeah and I, you know we don't foresee that so don't come at us but it's, no i will say this and then this will kind of close out the, the the discussion for me on Ohio State. We talk about Ryan Day losing to Michigan and potentially, you know, he's maybe coaching for his job, whatever. If he loses three games this year and one of those is Michigan, he will be coaching for his job next year. You can count on that. Yeah, I mean, I think if he if they get – so it feels like how they lose that game is going to matter almost as much as whether they lose that game. Um, <laughs> yeah. They go out and get, get, just get this, you know, manhandled basically uh, against Michigan or even Penn state, I think has the capability to out physical them uh, particularly up front. You know, they, if they lose those games and they lose them because of a lack of physicality, I can see where 2024 becomes a prove it year for a guy who by that point is going to be something like, you know, f- 54 and eight. <laughs> yeah. It's uh pretty stupid. But man, God, the rest of the Big Ten sucks. I mean, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, and everybody else stinks or is just what's the word I'm looking for? Just rem- unremarkable. They're all mediocre. There's no just real not, scary team. Yeah, it's not. I attribute it mainly to the coaching. Like the coaching is the problem to me. Like if you go down the SEC West uh, list of coaches or just the SEC in general, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, you know, Jimbo Fisher, a guy who's won a title, uh, Brian Kelly. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of elite coaches. You know what I'm saying? 
Mm-hmm. So I, I think the coaching in the Big Ten is just weak outside of those three dudes. I got no bad things to say about Day. Uh, I don't really have much bad to say about Harbaugh at this point so ever since we did the Harbaugh episode. Right. And I don't really have anything negative to say about James Franklin if he does what we expect him to do this year. But the rest of them, it's just a bunch of average Joes, dude. We'll see what Luke Vickle does in year one, but I don't know, man. Yeah, it's I just not don't... that the Big Ten is full of god awful teams. It's just they. There's a lot of decent teams, but, yeah, you know, above average teams. But there's mm-hmm. there's very few great teams that. Yeah, uh, a lot of mediocrity you know, there. Shit. All right. So what what is on the plate for next week? Who oh, man, what is on the play for next week? Are we talking to the Arizona State beat writer? Are we bringing in the as what are they? The the sun sun devils, Aztecs? What the fuck are they? The sun devils. the sun devils. Oh my worst gosh, fucking really? mascot in sports. It's I don't like the mascot, the, the little cartoon guy. <laughs> I don't like that mascot terrible. as much. But those shiny it's, helmets with the pitchfork, the with the trident coming up the side, those are ah. Yeah, those no. are kind of rad, but yeah, um, I mean they're the, they're pretty. The cool. logo guy is a little goofy, but yeah, uh, Arizona State I think is we're we're trying to uh, get a young man from Devil's Digest um, on, Ooh. trying to work out a time with him. And Arizona State is kind of an interesting team, at least to me. I know you don't care, but uh, <laughs> moving on, you know, from the no, Herman, not me, not caring not, about a low level Pac twelve team. That's not me. You play to win the game. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the coaching hire and what he's done so far and, you know, their, their potential for upward mobility. Arizona state is not going to win a title in the next 10 years. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I think they can be a player in the pac 12, probably as soon as like 24, like hmm. USC and UCLA are leaving. Who knows? What's yeah. Now if you, with, yeah. Now you know, if the four corner schools were, or excuse me, not the four corner schools, but if like Utah, Oregon and Washington all leave and there's nobody left, but all the trash, then yeah, they could compete in the next. No, five years. that you're, you're killing me. <laughs> no, I think like, I, I don't think they're going to be good this year. I think, I think their win total is like four and a half or five and a half, but I think they are on the upswing and I like the coaching hire and what he's trying to do. So they're an interesting well, team to me. Is he, is he the youngest coach in FBS football? Dillingham? Probably he's 33. So yeah, he's, he's got a shot. Yeah, he's a super young guy. I think he's like the youngest head coach in the Power Five, if I'm not mistaken. So that is interesting. He's an Arizona State dude. I, I do agree with you. I like the hire. So it will be interesting to see what they do. I mean, at least they got you know one of their own, got one of their own mm-hmm. dudes to come in and somebody that actually gives a shit about the program. But until they replace that athletic director, well, I don't really give a shit what they do because that guy can't get out of his own way. Yeah, that might be a roadblock, but we'll we'll see. We'll find out next week what uh, kind of what their outlook looks like and and see what we should th- see if my optimism is unfounded or not. And then you mm. can talk all sorts of trash. Well, all right, all right. Well, until then, you guys can find us on social media at South End Zone Pod. That's YouTube, Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok. Because until it gets banned anyway, which whatever, that's fine with me. <laughs> and it, you know, if, uh, but we're all on we're on the interwebs at South End Zone Pod. You can follow me at Jason Bailey forty seven. You can follow Eric at Eric Mulhair. And we'll be back with you next week talking about uh, Arizona State, or if not, just some form of degenerate behavior. So, see you then. Later. Thank you very much. Have a great day.
Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.